KYA Extra Credit. This short-form podcast will hit your feeds every week opposite the main KYA show, and the focus is on a separate Norma Klein book in each episode. Norma Klein was an early YA writer doing work similar to that of Judy Bloom in the 1970s and 1980s that pushed boundaries and dove into topics so few others were approaching at the time. I'm your host, Kelly Jensen, and I am joined this week by someone really exciting, and that is YA author Brandy Colbert. Hello. <laughs> Hello. It's so nice to have you here to talk about uh, this book in particular. When we were talking about what book we should um, do together, you were like, oh, that one, you know, that one sounds like it would be the best. And I think having now read like seven of these books, I agree it was the best one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah. It's so weird. I didn't read Norma Klein growing up and looking through her books when you asked me to do this. I was like, that is so weird that I didn't read them because she's writing about so much of the stuff that I write about now. Yeah, it's it's funny. I think a lot of especially contemporary writers owe a lot to her, but maybe don't necessarily know that or know like her name um, as somebody that they would owe. Like, I don't want to say inspiration, but, you know, gratitude to, I guess, for um taking on some of these really huge meaty topics at a time when they weren't handled at all and, and handled pretty decent. Well, not all of them, but you know, some of the big ones are handled pretty (laughs) decently. Um, I did an episode with Tom Ryan and we talked about um, the book called breaking up and it had great queer representation in it. And it was just, it was very positive and, um, it was one of those things that's like, it was refreshing in a weird way because you've read so many or you've heard stories of books that came out at the same time that were not that way at all. Um, and to see that it still held up fairly well was like, wow, you know, that's impressive. Yeah, exactly. And the funny thing is that I was actually reading a lot of YA that was published around this time. So I looked, um, I think the copyright in this one is 1972. Um, so that's a little before my time, but I was a kid in the eighties and then I was a teenager in the nineties. So I was reading a lot of really old YA, um, in middle mm-hmm. grade back in the day. So a lot of it was published back at this time. Um, so there was like this sort of like familiar, like a comfort <laughs> sort of in reading this. It felt like it took me back to my childhood, which is strange because this was ahead of my time. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was surprised by a few things that this handled back then that I was like, I don't think anyone else was talking or writing about this in 1972. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, I'm going to just read the description of it from the back. I think we have the same edition. Yeah, I think so. Um, I will read the description from the back of the book, then we can dive in. And then that way, <laughs> like, we don't have to keep talking around the things that we really want to talk about. <laughs> right. So um, it starts by just saying in big capital letters, taking up like a third of the back copy, <laughs> an offbeat family. Having a mother who had never married might be awkward and inconvenient for other people, but never for Brett. In fact, Brett preferred her mom single. She'd change and be all be like all other mothers if she had a husband. Then there'd be three meals on time, a strict bedtime, and probably they'd have to wear skirts instead of jeans. <laughs> Life with mom seemed just right until the wolf man came along. <laughs> oh my God, I didn't even read the back cover. It's just like everything about this is gold. <laughs> I know. So, so we'll start with, let's just, I think we could just dissect from right here. Um so Brett is our main character and she's young. I was surprised. Yes. I thought she was older. She was 11. I, she, okay. First of all, the cover, I know you can't judge a book by its cover, but the cover, she looks 19 mm-hmm. and yeah, I was shocked. She was 11. Just her voice was so much older to me. Um, and I just finished writing in middle grade. So I'm like, Oh, <laughs> like, you know, I had that struggle with like, am I right? Is it sounding too old? And I'm like, wow, if I had been Norma Klein in 1972, I could have just passed off my YA as middle grade. I guess yeah. <laughs> seems really unchangeable. Yeah. I was, I was surprised too. Like I, I went and um, I had marked that she was 11, wherever that popped up. And mm-hmm. I like, I went back and reread before that. And I was like, really, really? <laughs> She's 11. Um, but it was also sort of refreshing to read a mature 11 year old um, as opposed to like a mature 17 year old. Um, and just the way that sort of, there is a little bit of naivete mm-hmm. in her perspective of the world. And she doesn't have 
quite the like all-knowing perspective that a mature 17 year old sometimes thinks that they do right there was definitely something childlike like she mentions playing a lot and so it's funny because like from I guess a person the perspective of a writer who's been edited quite a bit at this point like you have too I kept wondering like is that a note from her editor that's like you know she sounds too old like you need to remind (laughs) people that she's young she plays but sometimes it just didn't feel I don't know like there were things like the chapter where her mom's friend Wally brings over I think a projector um and they watch a movie and it's a big deal because you couldn't just Mm -hmm. pop in a tape or you know VCR tape or um you know DVD or stream it which probably people listening to this are like what's a VCR (laughs) what's a VHS um but she sounds she seems like young then like it was little parts like that you know where she talks about like seeing movies and maybe being like scared of certain parts and and she was very like her. So her best friend, I guess, is Evelyn. But it's oh also it's also one of those things where you don't know if they're really friends or not oh. because of the way she talks about Evelyn. She hates like, Evelyn. It was like classic. I don't even know if I say, should say frenemies. She hates her. <laughs> but yet, like, doesn't stay away from her either. Right. It's like she really enjoys this like antagonistic relationship with her. It's really interesting. And then I wonder if part of it's just like proximity because they live in the same building, but it's New York City, which is another thing that (laughs) was really interesting to me because I don't know, I've had this fascination as someone who grew up in the Midwest. Um, Mm -hmm. I've had this fascination with city kids and even like living in LA as long as I have, I'm just always like, anytime I meet someone who grew up here, I'm like, what was it like? (laughs) Especially New York City kids. I just imagine that they were all living like this, like walking around the city by themselves, <laughs> like skipping school at 11. Um, it's just like, so this is actually my view. And I wonder if it's because I read books like this as a kid. Um, but yeah, her independence and just her and Evelyn, there was that day where Evelyn, she and Evelyn ran around all day and like went to Lincoln Center and like had a nice lunch out. Yes. <laughs> like, but she what? hates Evelyn. Yes. <laughs> right. I mean, I don't know. I think that says something about that age and just someone looking too. that close to you. Yeah, no, it was it was very much like I felt like the relationship was very much 11 years old, mm-hmm. you know, like there was just a lot in the voice and the behavior minus the whole like skipping school and running around, which was bizarre. <laughs> Again, I grew up in the Midwest as well. So like I have no perspective of what city life you know, no, I mean, the kid in the city was like, so you had to be driven everywhere, first of all. So it's like there was no skipping right. anything unless someone had a car. Right. And I remember like the first time my mom let me go to, we lived like 40 minutes outside Chicago. I remember the first time she let me go downtown uh, by myself on the train. And that was oh. like my senior year of high school. You know, yeah. like it wasn't until I was old enough to like handle the responsibility. And I remember that that was like, that was such a big deal. Oh yeah. I didn't even want to go downtown to Chicago the first time I went and I was like 28. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's so funny. I wonder too, like part of it is like, they don't have any perspective on like why they should be concerned about like <laughs> skipping school and running around the city either. You know, again, they're 11. Right. And then I'm wondering like, uh, I should have my dates for this, but like, when was like Son of Sam and that stuff? You oh, know, like, yeah. I'm just curious. Like, was it a safer city or? I feel like Son of Sam was maybe a couple years later or just around the same time. Um, because this was 72, so she probably wrote it in yeah. 70, 71. Yeah, I know I think it was, it was in the later. 70s. Yeah. Um, so maybe, so maybe, maybe it was. Maybe. I guess just all the things you see about New York from that time is like how dangerous it was and, you know, Mm -hmm. the like gritty subway photos and like, you know, Times Square and all that stuff. So I don't know. So one of the things I really liked is that uh, Klein wrote this family relationship that was so unique to talk about at the time. And that's that Brett's mom was a single mom by choice mm-hmm. and the father was never in the picture. So um, Brett never got to know her father and Brett also didn't care to know who her father was. Like she really liked having just her mom. And um, that was something that I don't think I ever saw growing up. Um, you know, I, I grew up with a single mom, but my dad was sort of in and out of the picture and mm-hmm. 
I remember uh, it wasn't until I read Babysitter's Club that I saw a, a person my age who had like divorced parents. And that was a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine what it must have been like in 1972 to read a book where this girl's like, I don't have a dad and it's cool. Like, yeah. Whew. Yeah. I was really struck by that. Even the first chapter, you know, it's called Father's Day. And the first line is, mm-hmm. where's your father? Did he have to go to work or something? It was Father's Day at school and Mary Jane Wachowski was eyeing me with this funny expression. And it's just, she's already just like, no, I don't need a dad, you know? And I just love that that thread is carried through. It's not like it's something that's actually bothering her this whole time, like several times throughout the book. She's like, I don't actually want a dad. Like, don't try to, I think at one point she said, you know, what if we tried to find him or is, or maybe that was someone else saying like, you know, is he out there? Where is he? And she's just like, nah, (laughs) like, I don't need him. Yeah. And there was this great line that um, I marked too, where she talks about um, her mom is going to like let her skip school for the day. And yes. <laughs> she's like, oh, this is great. And Brett's like, this is great. Um, that's one of the things I mean, which is nice about living with just mom. Children with fathers can never get out early from school <laughs> unless they really do have to go to the dentist. They must think I have terrible teeth at that school because mom never bothers to think up a better excuse. Yes. Tackling. I love that line so much. <laughs> oh, man. But, but of course, um, as uh, the story goes on, Brett and her mother go on this protest to Washington, D.C. Right. <laughs> and her mom only wears, this was one of the wildest things in the book. And there were a lot of wild things in this book. <laughs> that she's like, mom only wears dresses to protest because she doesn't want to look too much like a hippie. <laughs> so seventies. And her mom, the thing is, like, her mom only wears sweatpants, if I'm remembering correctly. Like, her mom doesn't get dressed in the morning, and she sleeps in really late. And, like, this is a thing that she, Brett, brings up over and over again, because Evelyn's mom is so, like, prim and proper and put together. And, um, you know, like, there's this real, I guess, pushback against gendered stereotypes that is really clever, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in a way that doesn't feel like that's what Klein is trying to get across, but instead just like, this is what an 11-year-old notice is, you know. Um, Evelyn and her mom really follow these like stereotypes of what a nuclear family looks like, uh, both like in terms of makeup as well as in like makeup you put on your face. Um, And then we have Brett and her mom and how Brett is really sort of the the mature one. (laughs) Right. right. She's like raising mom. Yeah. And she's like, it's fine. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, I think it's, they call them blue jeans back then, which I love. And she's just like, yeah, mom sleeps all day. You know, she's up all night working and then she sleeps all day. And my friends would come over and be like, why is your mom in her pajamas at 3 PM? So she asked her mom to start sleeping in her jeans. <laughs> so when her friends came over, they wouldn't judge her. Like, oh my oh, gosh. Man, I loved it. I loved it. Um, so, so they go to this March and they marched for about two hours. Uh, it was a, a Oh man, what was the march for again? I'm trying to remember. Was, for, was it just for what, like women's rights or something? Like that? Uh, I think I think you might be right. Although that was like uh, she had a big poster from her women's strike for peace group. Oh, I felt like it was a little bit vague. Yeah, maybe maybe it was vague. If I'm not remembering and you're not remembering, maybe there wasn't a specific like what the march was for because. There was a specific mention of this strike for peace um, because her mom just like reused the poster from that one. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like we do this all the time. Yeah. We need another one. Um, And it's here where we meet the wolf man. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I'm laughing because the nickname is great. Uh, His name is Theodore, but he had this... um, giant dog that reminded Brett of a werewolf, uh, um, a wolf. So she started calling him the wolf man and has to explain to literally everybody why she calls him the wolf man. Right. Like, me. Like, <laughs> like maybe she shouldn't because that requires so much explanation. Exactly. Like he doesn't ever walk around without his dog. Um, <laughs> yeah. The funny thing about him was, and this really isn't the point, but 
just pointing, just, I guess, looking back to the seventies and how things were so different is they meet him or she had met him before at a photo shoot or like a commercial shoot Mm -hmm. for animals or something. And then she sees him again at the protest and it's like, Hey man, you know, I know you. Yeah. And which is hilarious. Like the kid was just like, I know that grown man over there. And then they all hang out and she and her mom give him a ride home, but they also had a couple of other people in the car. So someone has to sit on his lap (laughs) and they just met this strange man. And they're like, yeah, it's cool. It's just a couple hours. So the kids rotated, taking turns sitting on the stranger's lap. I just, it was so seventies. I could not get over that. I loved, and so we don't really get to know very much about Theodore, um, the wolf band, but like suddenly he's moving in and (laughs) in a very serious relationship with Brett's mom. And this is, you know, drama for Brett who doesn't want a father. The thing I couldn't stop thinking about was like, the wolf band reminded me of just like a really pathetic puppy, like. He was looking for a place to live. Like, he needed somebody to take care of him. Like, it was a strange... I don't think that was in the text at all, but, like, that was the feeling I got from him because we never got to know him. He just seemed like he was always there waiting for somebody to, like, (laughs) pet him and tell him that he was good and, like, bring him in the house. And That's so true. I mean, it's definitely a a woman-centered story, which Mm -hmm. I super appreciated. Um, You know, there's the subplot of Evelyn wanting a father and um, Evelyn's mom really wanting a husband, uh, which P.S. I wrote down um, that it had weird things like Evelyn wanting to grow up and pretend to be her dad's wife. Mm-hmm. Did you catch that part? <laughs> that was just a slight bit disturbing. Um, so there's Evelyn and her mom, but then there is, you know, Brett and her mom and they've made this really great life together. And even though Brett's mom's mom, so Brett's grandma seemed you know, a little domineering and, uh, you know, pretty traditional and really wants mm-hmm. the mother to get married. You know, her mom's just like, no, I'm going to do what I want. I don't want that right now. So I thought, I don't know. I really enjoyed that. And I really feel like that must've been really rare for this time. Yeah. You know, something I also was laughing and cringing about at the same time. Um, Brett's mom is only 31. Yes. Yes. Oh, and I was God. like, this is the first time I've read a YA book where I'm older than the mother. And oh, just wait, it'll keep happening. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the reason I bring that up is because um, there's this whole thing about age in the book. And they all think that um, their moms are too old to yeah. um, have a baby again. Like that mm-hmm. was, and, and there's this great, great line. Um, so Brett is at, her grandma and grandpa's house and it was a party it was a party for her mom who's turning 32 yes <laughs> and brett goes that's pretty old to have a baby oh. grandma got this strange expression on her face as though she felt sick is deborah going to have a baby no i said why well you said dot 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 oh no i laughed it's funny that grandma doesn't know about sexual intercourse. They probably oh didn't God. teach it at school when she was little. <laughs> I told her about how mom could have a baby, but wouldn't. She just has sexual intercourse because she enjoys <laughs> I think I screamed when I read that part. <laughs> I was cackling because I'm just like, she's explaining sex to her grandmother. And then I was like, she's probably not wrong. They definitely weren't teaching sex education. Not that her grandma doesn't know what it is, obviously, but like they definitely weren't teaching that. No. Um, back when her grandma was in school, I, I just, I just imagine the look on her grandma's face as her grandchild is like, mom just has sex for fun. It's fine. She's not going to have a baby. <laughs> well, the like next line is grandma kept looking around still with this funny expression. <laughs> There are some things you can't discuss with grandma because she's very nervous. Sure. Nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. That was, there are moments in this book that are just so funny. And I think it's not even that it's funny to look back on. It's funny because like, it would have been really funny reading it as a teenager too. And, and feeling that sort of like secondhand embarrassment (laughs) for how Brett is talking to her grandma, you know? Totally. I thought the grandparents were pretty interesting. There was another vague part, though, like the grandfather um, gets sick and has to 
you know, go stay in the hospital, mm-hmm. go have a procedure done. And it just felt almost like, I wondered if they thought it was like too serious for this age group because they never mention it. It's only talked around. He has mm-hmm. to stay in the ICU for like five days and then he comes home and then the grandparents have to, spoiler alert, move to Arizona yeah. <laughs> for his health. But it's never mentioned what it is, which I found so interesting. It was something about his, um, like the air in Arizona would be better. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, this was like a vague thing that came up a lot in like the seventies and eighties. Um, I feel like I've seen this same similar situation pop up in other books and like, um, this idea that like you have to move away from the city for your health because there's better air quality, um, I'm like blanking on where I, this is like a recent thing I read. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so it could be, you know, like they are vague about what, what was going on, but the whole, like they'll have to move to Arizona one convenient for the plot, but two, um, I do think it was like a thing. Um, Oh yeah. It's still a thing, honestly. Like I had a family (laughs) member move there recently, so for their health, but it's just so funny that they, didn't bring it up and that I'm sure it was completely a thing that they did in books. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I wonder if they were like, we don't want to burden children with like these issues or we don't want them to have to talk to their parents about it. Like I, I'm just curious about some of the editorial choices that were made. (laughs) It's sort of like the writer brain that I can't turn off when I read now. Totally. Um, There is another section a little bit later where um, we find out that the Wolfman is older than mom and that oh my is God. a big to do. He's 34. Yeah. They're just like, what are we going to do with him? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh man. Um, you know, so Brett is talking about like the reason this comes up is because Brett is still pushing to make sure that they don't have a baby together. Yes. And so she's like, children make a lot of noise and it would get on your nerves since you're not used to it. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's like, hosting her at his apartment and being very kind to her mm-hmm. and treating this child with respect. It's like, I'm pretty sure he'd be a good dad, but yeah, she is adamant about, and I, I sort of, I don't know if I wanted more of that unpacked, but mm-hmm. now that I'm thinking back on it, you know, I'm wondering if she just didn't want any competition, you know? Yeah. Well, that's what it felt like to me is, right? she, you know, she was so happy with like just having mom and, and being moms only and also not competing with, um, her father, like it was literally her and mom. So mm-hmm. I, th- I feel like a lot of her fear about Theodore being part of this family now was like, uh oh, they're gonna have another kid. It's gonna be the new kid. It's gonna be their kid. It'll get all the attention. And mm-hmm. she's like, oh no, I'll have to wander the city by myself. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, there was something else I was going to say. Oh. I thought this was interesting slash funny. Did you notice the dog's name was named Norma? Like she, she named the dog oh. after herself. Oh my God. Okay. So I noticed that it was a, kind of a strange name for a dog, mm-hmm. an unusual name for a dog. I did not even think about it. That is hilarious. I really want to name a dog after myself. I was going to say, <laughs> I, I hope that you name a dog after yourself because that's yeah. like one of those little Easter eggs for readers, you know, who are right? like, that was interesting choice and then you're like oh I get it like kind of you know like you never know the real reason but you can be happy with the reason that you think it is <laughs> right yeah that's so funny I did not even think about that it was just like Norma is an unusual name <laughs> not even looking at the cover thinking about Ms. Norma Klein can we talk about the thing that was just not good in this book oh yeah Anybody who's listened to any of these episodes of this particular uh, Hey YA Extra Credit will know what's going to come. And that's that, oh my goodness, the fat talk. It starts on page one. Yeah. I like, I started marking all the times where anybody was described as fat and it just got overwhelming because it was so bad. It's a lot. And not just as a descriptor, it Mm -hmm. is like. You know, you, I, I didn't mark. I'm sure you have some of these marked down, so you can feel free to read those examples if you want to, because I will get them wrong. Um, at one point, Nikki, who's another, um, Nikki was like in there building as well. One of the kids in the building was talking about how his mom is too fat to wear blue jeans. Yes. And then Evelyn says, well, she'll never get a new husband if she's so fat. 
was yeah. like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But that was page 30. <laughs> wild. Yeah. Yeah. My mother is too fat to wear blue jeans. Nikki said she'd bust right out of them. He laughed. I mean, like why? I don't know. And I think this was, I mean, it's still a form of, you know, discrimination that really isn't, I guess, given the same amount of care, you know, as other forms, but it was really wild back then. I feel like I'm thinking back to the books I would read back then. And a lot of times it was just said like this offhand and it's just pretty shocking to me. It, it is. And it's one of those things that's like, if it's a descriptor, it's a descriptor, like, and that's right. one thing, but then it's clearly more than that. Like it's meant to depict something much deeper, uh, personality flaws opposed to like a physical description. And yes, it's so rampant in all of her books. And it gets me thinking about like how rampant it must've been in other forms of, um, culture at the time, pop culture at the time, you know, like other books it was in that was probably not even thought about as anything other than like, it's in, in this particular book, it feels like comic effect. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, you know, it's not unpacked. So here's another description. Um, Mom gave Andrew's father a kiss on each cheek. He likes her too. There's no filling in these shorts, he said, gesturing with his hands. I'm getting fat, Mom said. Look, she puffed out her stomach. Andrew said, everyone doesn't like being an elephant, Daddy. Like, whoa. Whoa. That was a lot. It was weird. And then it was, like, weird to me that this married man is commenting on her mother's body. Like, what are you doing? You know? (laughs) I know this this stuff happened. This stuff still happens. But um, it was just really interesting to see it in a kid's book and think about how this is where it starts. This is Mm -hmm. the kind of stuff that sticks with you and normalizes it. There was a really interesting, I don't know if you caught this. um, There's a moment where Evelyn says something super transphobic too. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. I wrote that down. Yeah. Which like I hadn't expected that and it wasn't pushed back against um but we do know evelyn is this like not particularly great character so um it's something that felt like it fit her character uh and yet like it was jarring to read um in in part because i hadn't seen it yet in these books and in part because like it didn't seem like it fit with the story at all it was really shocking i was happy that i think later she brett went to her well i guess we should talk about what she said, basically just making judgments on men who bake bread, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was really interesting. And um, then Brett said, or sorry, Evelyn said, um, men who cook, who do other things, men who cook, do other things like dress up in women's clothes. Well, theater does not I said, I didn't call him the wolf man then because I knew Evelyn would make up some big imaginative thing about that. And I didn't feel like hearing about that. Um, Yeah, it was one of those, like, I marked it because I was like, I was so surprised to see that. Um, I hadn't... Yeah, in a book that felt really progressive Mm -hmm. in a lot of other ways. I will say, I think that it was um, unpacked later on the page, but not with Evelyn. I think maybe her grandparents. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Someone said, you know, that's not true. And she was like, okay, cool. And that was another part that made you feel like, okay, this really is an 11-year-old. She needs someone to tell her this isn't true, even though mm -hmm. she knew it deep down. She still needed that confirmation. Like, but Evelyn's not really right about this, is she? Evelyn is a piece of work, you know? Well, well, the best chapter title in this book, (laughs) and also maybe that I've ever read in my life, was Evelyn's Mother and the Pills. (laughs) (laughs) It was like a serious issue, but I just burst out laughing when I saw that. These chapter titles are so great. And they're basically like, if I had to write chapter titles for like every YA book I wrote, it would be like, this is like (laughs) making bread, Evelyn's mother and the pills. Like this is what we're doing in here. Trying not to change. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Mom was in a bad mood. (laughs) That's one of my other favorites. Um, I did like that chapter though with Evelyn's mom and the pills I thought that was one thing that this book did really well was um sort of like I guess suicidal ideation Mm -hmm. that it handled shockingly well and I was like wait (laughs) it just it surprised me yeah I 
Did I mark that one down? Um, I can't remember if it was this one or another one that I read, um, another one of the Klein books that I felt like mental health was brought up in a decent way, particularly Mm -hmm. for the time. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it was one of those, like, this is a thing that happens to people and um, not a thing that villainizes them. Exactly. And even just, you know, Evelyn's mother taking too many pills and it's never determined whether she did it on purpose. Uh, It's debated, you know, among other people, but it's never explicitly stated that she did. But I just thought that was really handled well. Like, you know, um, that, that could have been a possibility. Yeah. There's a great, I didn't mean to cut you off there. There's a, there's a great passage um, when Evelyn's mom comes home that says Evelyn's mom came home from the hospital in much less time than grandpa. She looked and acted the same as usual. I think maybe Evelyn was wrong. Maybe her mother didn't want to die, but it just gotten mixed up with the pills. Mom said sometimes people feel both ways. They say Mm -hmm. they want to die, but really they don't. If they really wanted to die, probably they would. I can imagine what that's like because once I felt so mad at mom that I imagine what it would be like if I was dead and she felt sorry for being mean. Grandpa said, lots of people think that way. I feel sorry for Evelyn's mom. I said to mom, this was the first ev- first afternoon Evelyn wasn't there. That just felt so 11 years old to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it was a thoughtful, like, reflection on people feel this way sometimes. And um, they're, again, not villainized for it, but rather, like, I, there's something to be said about Evelyn having this idea that or sorry, Brett having this idea that Evelyn's mom really just like accidentally took the wrong medication or took too much. And um, something that really gets to how much depth there is to mental health. And, um, you know, this like, it's, it's not saying that she's not struggling with something, but rather like, it's a thing she can understand that would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, a book for 1972, that's pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah, I really don't remember reading about mental health in books from this time, or if you did, you know, it was probably sort of handled like the fat phobia Mm -hmm. that's in this one. Yeah. Uh, One more thing, like on my little agenda to talk about before I, I know you've got like a page of notes. Um, (laughs) I want to hear what you thought about the ending because um, I wrote down, we never know more about her father, which is, I think a good thing. Like we never get mm-hmm. to know anything about um, Brett's father and something about him not being in the picture at all. I really, really appreciated. But then I noted that there's like no ending to this book. It just stops. Oh yeah. <laughs> and as someone who has a lot of trouble with writing endings and even then, I just have a lot of trouble with my endings, <laughs> like knowing where, when I like a really vague ending, but this was, I couldn't believe it. It, it felt like it didn't really feel like the end of a chapter, you know? Yeah. It felt like a section break almost. Yeah. It was like they got married and um, Wally came by. Wally was like this nice guy in the building that Brett thought would be with her mother at some point. Didn't want mm-hmm. it to happen, but thought it could happen. And it ends with like they brought Wally some champagne and cake from the celebration. Right. <laughs> like, and he says, so a new life is beginning for you. Here's to the new life. Walking downstairs again, I wondered if he was right. Like, what? <laughs> That's the end. That's yeah. Like, like, what? Like, what does that mean? Does she, like, what, right. is it, what does she think about that? Like, I, there's so much more I wanted out of that because she, like, set up this opportunity to, like, offer more and then, well, done. Bye. You know? Yeah. And I love an open ending, but that is... Too much. I wanted something a little more. Just maybe wrap up the day. Like, don't end mm-hmm. with her just bringing cake and champagne to poor Wally who's <laughs> dealing with allergies. Like, it was, yeah, that didn't quite work for me. <laughs> so, what what else stood out to you? So, I know again, um, I know you took like a page of notes. I just marked in my margins yeah. here. No, I've we've talked about quite a few of the things, uh, but there were some things that um. Wanted to note, um, so her friend Andrew, uh, his father is a rabbi, and then uh, said his mom has a German accent. And I thought it was really interesting because Andrew's parents, I guess, were probably immigrants. 
and you think about when they would have come over if this was 1972 and he was born in the 60s and I just thought that was like a really interesting thing to include yeah and also just the inclusion in the brief discussion of Jewish characters Um, you know technically I guess Brett was Jewish because her mom Mm -hmm. and her grandparents were she says you know she didn't even refer to herself ever as Jewish Mm -hmm. she was just like they are Mm -hmm. Um, so you know they didn't practice but I just don't remember ever reading any Jewish characters in books besides like, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Yeah, I don't either. And even now it's rare. Um, We've seen more, but like, it's definitely a Mm -hmm. rare, rare thing. And I know you've written one before. Um, So I'm curious, like, I I don't know where I was going with that thought. (laughs) This is real (laughs) real life podcasting. (laughs) Right. But I just wondered, yeah, I guess, um, because I don't remember seeing that. I'm sure there were more, but, you know, I wonder how that was, I don't know, not taken because, you know, it shouldn't be a big deal, but you know, for the time and where we live, Mm -hmm. I don't know, I guess in New York, of course that's not, but for, I think kids like us in the Midwest, this just was really, I really appreciated seeing that because, you know, there were like two Jewish families in my hometown. I don't think, um, honestly, like growing up, I don't think we had any, um, that I remember of course, um, but yeah, no, I didn't even think about that because I think I think you're right in that it would have been more common in a place like New York City. I mean, it certainly is now. Um, but then to have it come up and come up in such a way that it's it's clear that Jewish identity is complex and and so wide ranging, you know, because Andrew's father was practicing, whereas. Um, Brett even says like grandma, grandpa, and mom are Jewish, but they never talk about it um, mm-hmm. or make, they make jokes about it sometimes. And it's like, mm-hmm. but Andrew Samuel was very devout. And um, that was, it was interesting to see that, you know, two different sides to having the same identity. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I just thought that was like nicely done, but also, not the point of the book mm-hmm. and, you know, not heavy handed at all. It was just sort of like, here it is. Yeah. And I really appreciated that. Um, another thing I liked, you know, it was, the setting wasn't like a huge part, but you never really forgot they were in New York city. And I liked that, you know, she talked about how they used to live in the village and just, it felt like there was a real appreciation for the arts and entertainment. Um, like theater is mentioned a few times, you know, and I think they said Evelyn's mother used to be, um, she was a photographer. A, or Brett's mom was a photographer and I think Evelyn's mom used to be a singer and right. a dancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was just like really cool. And again, growing up in the Midwest, nobody did <laughs> no. that stuff. So it was like, <laughs> I just would have really loved to have read about that and been like, Oh, that's actually a thing you can do for money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like People respect it. Yeah. Um, it's funny because almost all of the parents in the Klein books that I've read have had some kind of like, entertainment job like in the industry Mm -hmm. and it's so fascinating because like again midwest growing up like nobody did so even reading it now as an adult i'm like how do all these adults have such like fascinating jobs you know because that was just like not a part of my life growing up as a kid um right but i i suspect as a kid growing up in the city like you especially they're in the they're in the village and what seems to me like a very artsy um, area. Mm -hmm. And so of course these kids would know adults who have these like exciting jobs. Right. Yeah. It just felt really authentic. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Another thing (laughs) that I marked down that we really have to talk about is the discussion about domestic violence. Do you remember that? I. It's um, page 81, chapter eight. So they pick up Wally to, they're going to the protest. And um, she said they picked up Wally. And then there was one very odd thing though. When Wally came to pick us up, he had a black eye. Mm -hmm. Did you have a fight? I said, I'd really never seen a black eye before. My wife did it. Wally said, mom was in the kitchen getting out some fruit for the trip. You're kidding. Nope. She's taking judo, but that didn't work so well. So she decided to try this too. And then Brett says, did you give her one? And Wally said, Nope, I'm a nonviolent type. I frowned, but Wally, you mean she just hit you? Even if you wouldn't hit back? That sounds so mean. <laughs> I thought so. Someone should hit her. 
That's terrible. You should have hit her back, I said. Of course he should, said Mom. Of course. Wally shrugged. It's not my thing. Uh, Yeah. Mom believes in women knowing how to protect themselves, but I never saw her hit anyone. Um, Her sister's a black belt in karate. Um, I wondered why Wally's wife hit him if they weren't even living together anymore. Also, it seemed to me you wouldn't want to just hit someone if you knew they wouldn't even hit back. It would be sort of like stamping on a baby. <laughs> like, this big, heavy topic is, like, tempered with what is really funny. Um, and, and I think it's funny because, yeah. like, you're reading it now and you're like, she's trying to cut the tension here a bit. And um, I, did, I did mark down on the um, margins here about it being domestic abuse coming up in this book and sort of being mm-hmm. surprised by it. Um, yeah. And that it was, you know, I know it happens mm-hmm. all kinds of ways, but I don't think you often see on the page a woman hitting a man yeah, and giving him a black eye. Right. Right. And him being so adamant about being nonviolent and like, I, I'm not going to mm-hmm. respond to that. And um, there's, yeah, there's not like, it's not, brought up a whole lot again. Um, no. but it's, I think it's similar to when you brought up the mental health thing. It like, it's a big issue that comes in the story because when you interact with anybody, like they bring with the, them their own experiences. So it might not be your story, but you know, their story connects with yours. So obviously like you have some kind of reaction or, um, thought about it. And I, it was just, it was, woven in here really smartly uh, without overtaking the the central narrative at all. Right. Like it shocked me, but that also seemed to fit with Wally's character. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, again, that's just something I can't remember reading about or, you know, if I did, it was in a different way. Like, you know, a husband beating up on, you know, a Mm -hmm. wife. Um, So that was interesting. Okay. I just have a couple more (laughs) things. Um, Did you notice that the child drinking in this book was off the charts? There were so many kids drinking in this really? book. I didn't even notice that. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I guess it was just the boys. It was um, her friends, Nikki and Andrew. Um, so they went to dinner with Wally and his kid, Nikki. And it said, like, I think the adults drank some beer and Nikki drank some of Wally's. He likes beer. And that was just it. It was just like, he likes beer. <laughs> and I was like, all right, he's 11. That's cool. Yeah, he's 11. And then at the end... Um, when her mom and the wolf man get married, her friend Andrew comes and it says, Andrew even drank two glasses of champagne. <laughs> like two glasses of champagne is an 11 year old. And she was like, he wasn't even drunk. It was fine. It was like, wow. It was so wild to me. Um, you know, I do think this country is really strange about drinking. And, you know, I personally ascribe more to like the European feel of like just don't make mm-hmm. it a big thing. So then you don't turn 16 yeah. and you're like going out, getting wasted and being irresponsible. But this was <laughs> hilarious to me. I cannot imagine putting anything about an 11 year old having even a sip of alcohol, let alone drinking two glasses <laughs> and of champagne. And he was fine because he wasn't drunk. Yeah. And like that kid's going home to his family. Right. The yeah. rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. And then just one little thing I noticed sort of from like a copy editor's perspective, but also just a general perspective. Um, there was one mention of a black yes. person at the end. Um, uh, one of the Wolfman's students, he mentioned that he thought that Brett would really get along with her, his student who was a black girl and they capitalized mm-hmm. black. And that is something that I feel like publishing is moving more toward because, you know, sort of scholars, academics, um, even just, writers like me are pushing back on that and saying, no, we want to Mm -hmm. capitalize black. And so if it was in this book in 1972, which also I feel like seems, you know, I'm not up on exactly the terminology that was used for each decade, but I don't know it for 1972. It seems a little radical. I was, Um, I was curious what you would think about that because, you know, I, I had this moment of reading that and I underlined that line and I was like, this is the first mention in one of these books of a, a character of color. And it says a black girl named oh. Martha. And I was like, there's a lot in there that like would pass today. Like that's how you would describe a character mm-hmm. today. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that I thought was, was a big deal. 
I thought so too. And I kept waiting, mm-hmm. you know, cause I was like, Oh no, they're going to say something terrible. Like I'm going to get offended. And it mm-hmm. just, that was it. She was just a black girl and yeah. she liked science. And I was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Black girls can like science. But in 1972, you weren't seeing any black girls, let alone ones that had any depth or, you know, not that mm-hmm. she was on the page, but even just that mention, if I had read this as a child, I would have felt like really mm-hmm. seen and really appreciated. Yeah. That. I, I only wish we'd gotten to see her on the page. Um, that was, that was like my one like okay well I'm glad nothing bad happened or like we weren't given a stereotype um but also like come on I wanted a little bit more of her you know <laughs> right exactly yeah no I I liked this one um I was pleasantly surprised um I I think after like reading so many of these and being <laughs> less pleased with most of them that this was like a really nice relief um and and to me too, it speaks to why this particular book has continued to, I don't want to say endure, but it's one that sticks with people and that people still pick up and read. Yeah. When I, um, you posted about it on Instagram and I reposted that in my stories and um, Sarah Zar, wonderful contemporary YA writer of our time, um, messaged me and she was like, oh my God, she's like, I forgot about Norma Klein and it was really interesting because I was like, Oh, I never read Norma Klein. And she's like, Oh, did you read these? And we went back and forth <laughs> for a couple of messages trading like our favorite old school YA authors. And we both had one that the other hadn't read, but I really think that speaks to, but we had some in common. And so I think that speaks to like what you read as a kid can really influence mm-hmm. what, you know, as a writer, what you end up tackling in your own work years later. Yeah, And I think Um, having read all of your books, I see like where the roads that Norman Klein made in terms of bringing in these big contemporary issues in a way that feels natural, that there would be so much going on in like one 11 year old's life. Um, I see that in your books too, because your books have so much in them and yet it's, it feels right because that's the reality of like being a teenager whether it's in 1972 or 2019 like they have so much going on and we don't give them enough credit for like navigating all of these different things that they might have never been around before you know like in this particular book we have mental health we have um domestic violence we have the um all kinds of family relationships like different family dynamics and you know these are all part of Brett's life and her story, even if it's not what the central narrative in the book is. Right. And thank you for those nice words. But yeah, like, you know, a lot of these books that were published back then were definitely Mm -hmm. issue books. So it would have been like the mental health book or the domestic violence book, or, you know, her really wanting her father and going out to try to like basically living Mm -hmm. Evelyn's life and going out trying to find a father. But I didn't feel that at all. It was just like a slice of life, which is really what I Mm -hmm. like to write. Um, Because yeah, I feel like when, you know, I see reviews on my books or other people's books and it's like, there was too much going on and I just wish it would have focused on one thing. And it's like, I do understand how books can, you know, topics can sometimes get away if there are too many, but also, you know, not everything has to be the biggest deal. Not everything has to be, dealt with in a large and appropriate way Mm -hmm. at the time because that's not how life works. Yeah. And sometimes you do things that you end up regretting later or like don't think about again um, just because it's like it's, you know, one moment in your life or two moments in your life and you might never have that experience again or you might have it again later and realize like your action in the past was um, not great or it was great, you know. there's so many right. layers to just being a person and particularly being a teenager who is experiencing a lot of these things for the first time. And like, you're not going to be perfect. Like you're not supposed to be perfect. Like, or else there wouldn't be a story. <laughs> right. And you know, the parents mm-hmm. aren't supposed to be perfect. And that's another thing I really appreciated about this book was how the adults, <laughs> and maybe that's just because I'm getting older <laughs> and could actually look back and be like, Oh, 31. Wow. That was, I don't even remember being 31. But um, Just to be able to be like, the parents aren't perfect either. They're going to make mistakes and that's totally fine because that's life. I think, I think we should end this conversation here. Um, there is, there is a made for TV movie of this and it is on YouTube, but I didn't get a chance to watch it. Did you? 
No, I looked at it last night and I was going to try to watch it, but the mm-hmm. quality was just so poor um, that I just couldn't get into it. But um, there was uh, like John oh. Lithgow is in it and oh. Patty Duke. <laughs> I'm super curious about it. It's one of those, like, I think I'll put it on in the background someday while I'm working. I just haven't like, haven't done it yet. But um, for any listeners who want to, like it's there, you can, you can watch it. Um, yes, please let us know. <laughs> Cause I kind of just fast forwarded through it a little bit. And I was like, this looks like a good movie. Like if I could find a high quality yeah. version, I would sit down and watch it. And also like how many, why books are made into movies from that era. Not very many. Um, so, it's, you know, <laughs> no, especially with big names. I know. I, know. I was just like, Patty <laughs> Duke, John Lithgow. It's incredible. So <laughs> on that note, thanks y'all for tuning in to Hey Extra Credit. We'll see you again next week for the main podcast. And then in two weeks for another special edition of Extra Credit uh, hey, YA Extra Credit, which will be the last one. And the book I'll be talking about in that one is It's Okay If You Don't Love Me. And you know where to follow me. But Brandy, do you want to tell them tell them about your book that's coming out the week that this podcast hits and where they can find you? Oh, yeah. Hi. Okay. So <laughs> I have uh, my fourth YA novel, The Revolution of Bertie Randolph, will be out on August 20th from Little Brown Books for Young Readers. Um, it's about a girl named Bertie who lives in Chicago with her parents, and she has always been sort of a good girl who follows the rules. And then that summer before her junior year, she's just kind of tired of it, and she meets a guy that she knows her parents wouldn't approve of. And her aunt comes back into her life after being gone for a while. And she just starts to see a new perspective on life and on things and how she wants to live her life. Um, So that's out. um, Yeah. August 20th. And um, if you want to keep up with me or any of the book news, I'm at Brandy Colbert um, on both Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so much for joining me and talking about this delightful little book. (laughs) that it's funny it's like the more you talk about it the more I'm like okay I really liked it I don't know what that's you know if it's just like I don't know (laughs) yeah it grows on you just even talking about it with you I'm like yeah there were so many things I didn't even appreciate on a first Mm -hmm. reading so I think it really holds up though considering how old it is I do too um if you ignore all the fat stuff like you got a really solid book here (laughs) yes yes maybe the child drinking although that entertained me so (laughs) (laughs) talk to y'all later bye bye